hey, hey everyone. Um, I hope everyone's staying safe. So it's been a million years since we met in person, it feels like. Um, and this week, you know, we were hoping that we would continue, you know, with a lot of our house churches uh, gathering all across the city. But because of, you know, the, um, this last week where we've seen some new clusters that are happening within the city, the metropolitan area. So we've you know, been asking some of our house churches to refrain uh, from gathering. And it is quite a bummer. Uh, I think all of us are kind of getting ready and getting amped to uh, have fellowship in person. And after a while of doing this online, it does get kind of tiresome. But, you know, my prayer is that, is that especially today, since it is uh, Pentecost Sunday, it would give us an opportunity uh, to just reflect on what it means to be the church. The church, you're not the church and you're not a Christian because you go to a certain place on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon in our case. That's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you have the living Holy Spirit alive in you. That no matter where you go, you can't escape God. That you live your life, not just Sunday, but Monday through Sunday, filled with the Holy Spirit, living out the gospel wherever you are. And that is what makes us a church. And so that is my encouragement for all of us today, especially if we're feeling a bit tired of the online format. Um, after a while, it, it, you know, it, we do need to meet with people. Um, but my encouragement for all of us is that, that today, the reason why we call ourselves Christian and the reason why we call ourselves a church is simply because the Holy Spirit is alive in us and nothing can take that away. And so today, um, you know, especially after so many weeks of doing this online, my desire actually was, man, we're going to gather together this Sunday and we're going to do whatever we can to keep things lighthearted and moving and exciting and uh, uplifting. And that's what I wanted for this Sunday. And yet, if I'm honest, this whole past week, it has been very heavy. Um, we don't live in the States and we're not broadcasting from the States, but many people in our community, you know, are from the States. And especially as we've been watching the news this past, the last, especially the last two weeks, and we're seeing an escalating, um, conflict and an escalating crisis in the States. My heart has actually been really heavy and I've been kind of, you know, tapped out emotionally as well. And so if there's, you know, some of you who are feeling that way, where it's not just COVID and it's not just, um, you know, online platforms, but there's also weariness that comes from the heaviness of what's happening in the States, you're not alone. Um, there are times where we're called to rejoice and there's times where we're called to grieve. Um, a quick word before I actually get into the word, and this has to do with what is happening all around the world. Uh, so for those of you who are not aware of what's happening, um, this is not a new issue in the States. It's been an ongoing issue for generations already where we see a dichotomy and a double standard and uh, really the systemic oppression uh, of a particular racial group. And as fate would have it right now with COVID, with the pandemic, with unemployment soaring, uh, with so much social discontent and 
uh, class differences, that, that gap beginning to widen more and more as we continue on with this pandemic. Um, there's been several instances that have triggered, you know, the anger, um, and rightly so, of a big majority of the population in the States. And it is something that is very heartbreaking. Um, and we as a church, I wish I could say that had nothing to do with us. But if we are honest, it has everything to do with us. And it has everything to do with what the church probably should be doing and should have been doing all along. And so it's with a bit of heaviness of heart um, that I'm, I'm asking this community not to shut our hearts to it. It is very difficult and very heavy for us to open up our hearts to allow ourselves to be affected, um, for us to hurt, for us to weep, for us to not know how to pray and yet show up in the place of prayer and worship and to do it week after week. And so that is my encouragement to us. Um, something that I wanted to share as I was praying for the situation in America this past week, and perhaps it will frame things in a way that helps us in knowing how to engage. Uh, this past Thursday, I was gathered with just a few people. Um, thank you. Um, with a few people to pray for this issue. And if we're honest, we don't know how to pray. We don't have the words. We don't have the language. We don't have the clarity. We don't have all the facts. Um, it's hard for us to stay objective. All of those things, you know, granted. Uh, we still felt like we had a burden to pray. And so we got together to pray, just a few of us, um, and begin to seek the Lord. What is he doing? What is he showing us at this time? And during that time of prayer, um, one of the images that came to mind as we were praying was the image of the Good Samaritan. And this is a story that talks about someone who's in very dire need and almost accidentally or, or perhaps not so accidentally um, there's a priest that walks that happens to stumble upon this body that was left for dead and in that moment of decision he chooses to cross over to the other side of the, st the street busy probably on his way to something important and yet in that moment of decision he chooses to cross the other side of the street and continue on his way. Then comes a Levite. These are people that minister at the temple. And at that moment, again, of decision, they choose to cross over to the other side of the street. And for some reason, that picture of the church and the people of God, if there's anyone who should know the compassion and the forgiveness and the need that we have as people before God, if there's anyone who should know it, it should have been the priest and the Levite. And yet, in their busyness and their eagerness to get to where they needed to go and perhaps do what they, they were called to do as priests and Levites, in that moment of need, they chose to close their eyes to the need and to continue on their way with business as usual. And I began to ask myself, is that what's happening in the church right now? This is the first Sunday where a lot of churches are actually reopening in the States. And there's this buzz and this excitement of, man, we finally get to meet. We finally get to come out of our houses. 
um, we finally get to meet as a community. We've been longing for it. And what if in our eagerness to meet, in our eagerness to go back to normal and to go back to what we know to be familiar, what if in the eagerness to get there, um, you know, with the blessing or without the blessing of the government, so many churches gathering to meet, what if we're ignoring the body on the road on our way there? And I just felt this um, call from the Holy Spirit to just... It's almost like he was calling out to the priest and the Levite and he was saying, stop, stop. I know that you're busy. I know that there's so much to do. I know that there's a need out there and there's people that are waiting for you. But stop, there's a body on the road. Do you not see it? How can you just go on with life as if nothing had happened? That was the burden that was on my heart. And I pray to God that that's not the kind of church that we have here. I pray to God that that's not the reason why we are debating whether to meet or not to meet. I pray that throughout these weeks where we had a time of abstaining from meeting and reflecting on what is a church and what does it mean to be a Christian outside of gathering in, in a room on Sunday during this time where we've had time to reflect and repent and change and recommit in this time and praying that it won't have gone to waste, but that we would emerge from it with a clear understanding of what God's calling us to do what things are important, what things are urgent, what things we should be zealous for, and what things we should be fighting for. And again, this is not just because we're socially conscious people. This is not just because people are watching to see how the church responds. This is because, first and foremost, when it was our turn to be that dead body on the road, when we were left for dead, there was someone who showed us mercy and showed us compassion. And that was God. So if there's anybody who should know what it feels like to be left for dead, what it feels like to be forgotten in the rush to do all these religious things in the rush to do what is a duty and an obligation. We who have received God's grace should know that more than anybody else. He stopped for you. He stopped for me. And from that place of knowing that we didn't deserve it, we should stop for our neighbor as well. That's who our neighbor is, the one who's hurting. This makes me just very hungry and makes me ask the question for, could we dream for a different kind of church? Could we dream for something better? Is there something more that God has called us to be? And yet we are so complacent with, all right, let's just, you know, gather and let's, um, as long as we're gathering and singing a few songs and, and listening to a message and perhaps taking notes and perhaps gathering throughout the week, we've done our duty as a Christian. What's happening right now, it's making me dream of a different kind of church, a church, a church that doesn't just meet because we have to or because we can, but a church that is able to be salt and light when there is a need that makes an impact and a difference in the world around us. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about what is a church, and we're kind of dancing around this question, dancing around this issue. What is a church? Especially now that we can't look to our usual and familiar landmarks of what it means to be a Christian. When we are perhaps stuck at home, perhaps when we are unable to meet in the way that we want to, What does it mean to be a church? 
And as Pastor JP, as he said, um, the last two weeks we were talking about first we are a church because we are a family. That's what it means to be a church. You can't be a church on your own. You don't have what it takes and you were not designed that way. You're called to love one another selflessly and sacrificially. You're called to be there for one another and ask for help when you need it as well. That's what it means to be a family. And we're slowly learning what it means to be that, especially now that we have so many obstacles in the way. What does it mean to be a family when it's not convenient? What does it mean to be a family when we can't gather freely? God is challenging us in that regard. Second, we're called to be a church because we're called to be the bride of Christ. It looks like a church that is longing and aching for Christ, that is uncompromised in her worship to him. That when fatigue comes her way, when persecution comes her way, when trials and testings come her way, she is not phased and she's not um, fickle in her devotion to him. But she's able to remain steadfast because there's someone, a God that is jealous for her and fighting for her as well. And so as we were talking about those questions, we were talking about how do we even begin to approach the question of what is a church? And we are quick to want to ask one another, what should we be thinking? How should we be feeling? How should we, we be behaving? But before we can even get there, we need to ask the question of who is God? If the church is called to be a family, then it is because we worship a God who is family, who's triune and who loves unconditionally. If we're called to be a bride that is lovesick and passionate for the return of Christ and act and think and act, And behave in that way. It is because we worship a God who is a bridegroom. Who is jealous for his bride. And today as we go into the third part of the series. We're going to talk about the church as the army. Now we have quite a history with this term. And so I don't want to be cavalier in the way that I go about talking about this. I know that there are sensitivities that we have because of the past and how this has been approached and all those things taken into consideration. We cannot afford to not talk about this because we will lose a part of what it means to be the church. The reason why we are called to be an army is because we worship a God who's both a lion and a lamb, both the suffering servant and the conquering king. We worship a God who pays for our past, but also empowers us for a future. And this gives us a clearer and broader picture of what the gospel message is about. So we can only start talking about the church as an army once we've talked about the church as a family and as a bride. I hope that you don't get the idea that one of these things supersedes another. We cannot be an army unless we understand what it means to be a family and unless we understand what it means to be a bride. So let me ask you this question. Why didn't God, in his sovereignty, and because he's able to do this, why didn't he just sweep you up into heaven the moment that you chose to say yes to him? 
It shows that you, the, the, the moment that you were born again. Why didn't he just do that? Wouldn't that be so much easier, so much simpler? We don't have to wrestle through this life. We just have to say yes, and then our problems are solved. Why didn't he just sweep you up in that way once you were saved? And even though you've heard every message, even though you've discussed the word with your house churches, even though you've taken notes and made promises and felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and taken action, why is living out this life as Christians, why is it still hard? Why is it still so hard? And I might be stating the obvious, but in case you weren't aware of this, the reason for that is because there's a battle going on and we cannot shut our eyes to it. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen reality. We live in a fallen body, fallen mind, fallen heart. Where the devil is very real, sin is very real, temptation is very real, brokenness and loss and evil, they're all very real. This is why we need to understand the church's call to be an army. And that is because we live in a world that is a battle. And there are three different battles that I want to highlight for us today. The first is there's a battle in the heart and in the mind of every believer. Second Corinthians 10, it reads, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as a world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's a battle for your thoughts. There's a battle for your affections. There's a battle for your allegiance, your perception of reality, for truth. There is a battle there. Let me give you an example of this. In this last three months, perhaps accelerated by the pandemic, there are moments where I've experienced anxiety in the last three months. There's moments where I've experienced loneliness and isolation in the last three months. There's been moments where I doubt what I'm doing, what my purpose is, what my value is. There's moments where I've experienced all these things just in the last three months. And what that says to me, if I'm still the same Christian, if I'm still the same child of God, if God is still the same father, the same provider, that means that there is a battle in my mind and in my heart for me to believe what is true and for me to stay steadfast in believing that. There will be a battle in your heart and in your mind against sin, against addiction, against condemnation, against lies. There is a battle in your heart and in your mind. And for us to be Christians who believe that once I accept Christ, everything is just going to fall into place magically. Once I say that, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, all my problems will be solved. That is a naive and unbiblical way to approach this life. We live in a battle. And the first place where we see this battle is in our hearts and in our minds. Let me ask you, in the last three months, have there been instances like that where you have to fight hard to believe 
I have to fight hard to believe if the Bible is true, then it means that I'm not forsaken. I'm not alone. I'm not forgotten. I'm not dispensable. I'm not invaluable. Have you had times where you've had to fight for that truth and you've had to fight to stay in that place of truth according to the Bible? Then that means that you've been engaging in warfare. Perhaps that's why this, this season of us abstaining from meeting with one another It has been even so tough. It leaves you alone with your thoughts and your feelings and your mind. And there's times when that battle can become very tiresome. But for us to believe that this is just an even playing field and that it's just a matter of me shifting my thoughts and just thinking positively and me surrounding myself with positive influence, that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible says very clearly that there is a battle For your thoughts, there's demonic strongholds that have power and we are called to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's not going to be simple. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be overnight, but we have been given the power and the responsibility to engage in that battle. Second is there is a battle in the world and this will be very obvious to you come tomorrow morning when you step out. And step into your workplace. Perhaps you step into the ever-changing landscape of what it means to work here in Korea in the midst of a pandemic. Perhaps you feel it every time you interact with your family in the midst of dysfunctional family dynamics. Perhaps you'll see it when you are faced with situations of sickness or hopelessness or opposition. It is very clear to us then that we live in a battle here in this world. The the word never gives us the luxury of putting on rose colored glasses to bury our head in the sand and to live life as if we lived in the ideal world. We don't live in heaven. We don't live in Eden. And even if you try to believe that the moment you step out into the world, you're once again reminded and you very quickly realize that you don't live in an ideal situation. You also realize that this fallen world, this fallen life is not what we were created for. We live not only in a fallen body where there's a battle over our hearts and over our minds, but we also live in a fallen world. Second Timothy three and four, it reads endure hardship with us. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. We get the sense from Apostle Paul that it's not an easy walk in the park. It's not just a matter of hoping for the best. It's not just a matter of surrounding yourselves with the right people. There are injustices in the workplace. There's friction in relationships. There's dysfunction in the family environment. And there are going to be times where God calls you to leave a particular battle, or God can also call you to endure in a particular battle. God can call you to intercede or be the agent of change. And all of this happens in the context of a battle that we live here in this world. For those of you, who are puzzled by why isn't my life getting easier now that I've accepted Christ. I've been doing my QTs. I've been doing my Bible reading. I've been meeting with my house churches. Why are things still difficult? This is what John 15 says. If the world hates you, keep in mind 
that it hated me first, me being Jesus. If you belong to the world, it would love you as your own, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And so Jesus isn't saying, look, now that you are my follower, now people are actually going to respect you and they're going to love you and they're going to want to hear everything that you have to say. Jesus actually says the exact opposite. There's persecutions that are promised for you as well. And if you come to that circumstance and that situation where you feel like, why is the world against me? Jesus is saying, duh, you're not of the world. You don't belong to the world. You belong to me. The world hated me, rejected me, crucified me. Why not? Will they, why wouldn't they do that to you as well? If you are truly my follower, I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Now, I want to give a brief disclaimer when it comes to this. It doesn't mean that every hardship that you experience in life is, man, this is something that I must oppose. This is, you know, this is the devil working against me. This isn't always the case. And this is where we need discernment. We need prayer. We need people around us who are honest as well. Let's look at the life of David just very briefly. This is an entire message in and of itself, but I feel like it's very important for me to give this, this disclaimer. The way that David approached Goliath is very different from the way that David approached Nathan. The way that David approached Goliath required him to resist and to fight. But when he was called out and confronted by prophet Nathan, he wasn't being called to fight and persevere. He was actually called to repent, to surrender. And so this gives us just a brief glimpse into just the the complexity of what it means to face opposition here in this world. Some of it, it is something that you have to resist. You have to fight against, you have to intercede for, you have to push through. And there's certain things that are prophetic messages from God for us to repent and for us to re-examine, turn around, and surrender. So we can't just paint everything with a broad brush and say that every opposition, every hardship, it is solely because this is a fallen world and woe is me. And there's so many people that are against me. That's not always the case. There's times where God will divinely orchestrate opposition to pinpoint and to, un, uh, to unveil the truth of something that we need to repent for a way in which we need to turn back to the Lord. And so It's very clear all throughout the Bible that even though we are believers, even though we're followers of Christ, we still live in a world that is a battle. In our circumstances around us and also in our hearts and in our minds. And now lastly, there is a battle in the spiritual realm. There's a battle in the spiritual realm. We can't ignore this. We can't say, well, I don't really know that for sure, so I don't know if it's true. The Bible talks about this. And once again, we can't pick and choose what we like to believe about the Bible. It says that there's an actual battle in the spiritual realm. This is why we can't just stop at action and advocacy and human strategy. This is, a, this is why we can't just stop as, man, okay, I'm going to do things better this time. I'm going to get better accountability. I'm going to try my best this time around. This is why we can't just stop there. This is why we also have to 
go on into prayer, into contending, pushing back, into charging in the spirit. All the action, all the advocacy, all this, the human strategy and accountability and human measures, all those things are needed and they are good, but they're not sufficient. So we cannot just blind our eyes and close our eyes to the fact that there's an actual battle in the spiritual realm. Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking with Peter, he says, he asks this, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We see a picture of two kingdoms colliding. We see a picture of a church and then the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. And in this clash, it's not a neutral clash. It's not a dialogue. It's not diplomacy. It is a violent clash. And when these two forces clash, there is one that is in the offensive. And that is the church. Often we think about the church, man, we got to be on the defense. We got to try as best as we can is to fight off evil and fight off temptation. And I'm going to do the best that I can to defend this little territory that I have. And that's not the picture that the, the Bible paints for the church. It says that the church will be storming the gates of hell. The gates are a protective measure, a protective measure. It's not an offensive weapon. You don't hit somebody with a gate right? You hold somebody back with gates. And so here in this picture of what we see the church is supposed to be the church that was inaugurated on this confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We see a church that is storming the gates of hell, a church that has the authority and the power to bind and to loose in heaven. And we're given the comforting truth and promise that we are not just called to do this on our own strength. We have been given provision from above to fight this battle. Ephesians six, it reads, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It means that you are made to stand against the devil's schemes for our struggles for a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. This is what you've been given to turn you, let's say, from a Tony Stark to an Iron Man. This is your armor. Without it, you're just someone with a lot of sass and a lot of trash talk, but very little resistance and very little power, right? So you're given the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So we see this picture of what God has meant every believer to be. It's not somebody who is just holed up somewhere hoping for the storm to pass. It is not just people that are hoping for the best. It is people who have been given provision from above to engage in this battle. We've been given a helmet. We've been given a breastplate, a belt buckle. We've been given a, a sword. We've been given our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We've been given all these different parts, all these different things from God in order for us to be able to engage in this battle. So we are not people who are cowering away from the enemy somewhere. We see a picture of a church that is endowed with power that is equipped to battle against the enemy and ultimately a church that will win. That is the promise that we have in the word. So let me ask you this question. What is the picture then of the church that we see in the Bible as an army? It doesn't mean that we are violent and we're yes, sir. It doesn't mean that we lose our identity. It doesn't mean that we yell really loud and pray really loud and sing really loud. That's not what it means to be the army of God. First of all, it means that we take after our commander, and that is Jesus Christ. We take after our commander. He is the one who gives the marching orders. We are the ones who follow, not just in action, but also in spirit. It means that we as a church are not called to be passive, but we're called to be active. We're called not to be fearful, but we're called to be courageous. We're called not to be self-serving, but selfless, sacrificial, counter-cultural, going against the grain of culture and what is merely convenient. We're not a church that is called to just go along the path of least resistance. We're called to be a church that fights. We're called to be a church that is reliant, not, our own, not, on our own, not on our own strength, but on the strength and courage that comes from the Father. It's a praying army. It's a contending army. It's an acting army, an army that knows the sound of God's voice and God's leading and discerns where he is going. That is what the picture of a church looks like. It's not just a bunch of people that are waiting for Jesus to come and are hoping for the best. And I hope that the storm passes us. And I hope that we're not damaged or harmed along the way. It's a church that is active, that is receiving marching orders from their commander. That is Jesus Christ, a church that is fearless, even in the face of persecution, trial, hardship, inconvenience, and even death, a church that is called to be courageous a church that is called to stand even against the devil's schemes. This is the picture that we see as a church. And so as uncomfortable, perhaps, as it is for me to preach about this reality, what it means to be a church, it is very necessary for us to integrate 
this into our understanding of what the church is. We're not just called to be a family and a lovesick bride. We're not just called to, you know, be kumbaya and love one another and, and hope for the best. We're called to be people who know that we're called to contend and engage in battle. For those, you know, who have experienced hurt, perhaps through the church, perhaps through other people, perhaps you felt betrayed or abandoned by God. And perhaps there's some of us who have gone through something that makes us want to just stand in the sidelines. Like, I am done with contending. I am done with pushing through. Like, I am done with that. I just don't want to rock the boat. I want to make it out okay. I just want to get through this. Let's wait for the storm to pass. This is my word for you. You're still part of the army. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what season you're probably going through right now. That is momentary. God will see to it. God will see to it that you will find strength and courage when the time comes. That you'll find healing, not just so that you can sit in your healing and be happy in your healing, but also so you can bring other people into it as well. This is what the gospel says, that Jesus is sufficient to carry you through, but he's also going to partner with you. And that is the bride, that is the church, that is a family that he has designed. You'll rise up again. You'll find purpose, you'll find passion again. You will trust again. You'll find strength again. And he's not done with you. I'm going to end with a picture that we see in Ezekiel 37 as I ask the praise team to come back up. This is a very important passage in the history of our church. There's just something about this passage that has really called out to us and has really resonated with us. And that is the picture of a valley of dry bones. And it's so fitting that this is Pentecost Sunday where we talk about how the Spirit of God fell upon the church in such a way that it turned a group of perhaps insecure, unsure people that didn't know what to do from here on out without Jesus being among them. It turned these people into fearless men and women who were endowed by power from on high, who prayed, worshipped, trusted, preached, went through persecution, trials, and hardships, all of it being faithful all the way to the end. We see how the Holy Spirit fell with tongues of fire on these men and women and how God transformed these men and women into fearless, wise, courageous, discerning, compassionate, and powerful people who advance the kingdom. That is what the Pentecost was. And in the same way, in Ezekiel 37, we read this passage, and I'm just going to read it to you. I want to just ask you to close your eyes as you just receive this word. It reads, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I'll make breath enter you and you will come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Could this be a picture of what we're called to be? Could this be a picture of what the church is supposed to be? Yes, we were meant to be a family loving one another. We're meant to be the bride, faithful and undivided in a heart. We were also made to be an army. You were also made to be an army, mighty in power, storming the gates of hell, advancing the kingdom of God, selfless in love and devotion and faithful to the end. This is what the church is meant to be. So in this hour, where the world is in need of people who will bring hope, bring life, bring compassion, bring forgiveness, bring healing. In the midst of this battle that we live in, the present circumstances all around us. It is more clear than ever before that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this just on our own strength. We cannot do this just based on our willpower alone. It needs to be the power of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be breath from above. It needs to be a holy God dwelling in his church. An army that rises up with compassion. An army that rises up in faith and resilience and perseverance. An army that is not intimidated by the enemy, but leans her ear towards her king and her savior. So, Father, we come to you, Lord, and we ask in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of so much that is shaking all around us, whether it affects us personally or not, in the midst of so much devastation and heartbreak and anguish and hopelessness, in the midst of this, Father, would you church rise up filled with your spirit to be the family, to be the bride, and to be the army that you've called her to be. We ask God that this would be more than just a religion. This would be more than just a philosophy. It would be more than just a social gathering or a building or a program. We ask God 
This would be the church of Jesus Christ. Filled with power. Filled with faith. Filled with hope. Filled with purpose and calling and future. We ask, Father, that it would be through the power of your, your Holy Spirit and through dependence on your Holy Spirit that we would see perhaps a new expression, a new beginning for your church in this time of need. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us up once again? We say that we need you. We say that we cannot do this without you. We say that we are needy and desperate for you. We thank you, Father, for your promise and what you are doing in your church. That you will see to it that we become the church that you've called us to be. We love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.